Hi, I'm Neil Patel, host of Decoder, my show about big ideas and other problems. Right now on Decoder, we're doing a mini-series about one of the biggest ideas that's creating some of the biggest problems around, generative AI. Our series dives deep into some of the most pressing issues surrounding generative AI, with expert Verge reporters covering the cutting-edge frontier of the industry. How could copyright lawsuits completely upend large language models and image generators? How big a problem is AI-generated misinformation for the 2024 election? And what kind of impact are AI chatbots having on human relationships? Decoder's AI series will help you understand what's going on, why, and where it might go from here. Tune in every Monday and Thursday for new episodes of Decoder wherever you get your podcasts. What is good, everybody? Welcome to another edition of the Off Day Debrief, part of the SB Nation NFL show. I am Rob Stats Guerrera. He is Brandon Lee Gowden from Bleeding Green Nation. What is up, BLG? Stats, it is a great time to be alive for you. The 49ers fan still cheering on the team that is potentially going to a Super Bowl for the second time in three years. You tried to tell us all uh, that the 49ers were going to be back now. I'm pretty sure you didn't think it was going to happen like this. And you had your doubt. You even said, uh, you know, about the quarterback position many a times uh, that you didn't see it going this way. But nevertheless, here we are. Not going to lie. You stole my thunder a little bit. I was ready to take a victory lap with that exact speech because I did tell you and anyone that would listen early in the year that this was possible. Now, you're right. The route they took to get there was a little crazy. And I've gotten plenty of things wrong this year, but I was right about that. But kudos to you. You admitted it right out of the gate. And I'm not going to lie. Like, I feel a little bummed that you didn't let me take my victory lap. Well, that's what you got to do. You got to get out in front of it. This is PR, mm-hmm. PR 101 stats. You know, you just get out in front of everything and then it's okay. Um, it is weird, though. Seriously. Like, uh, and we're kind of just diving in, or at least I am right here. And I know you probably want to set up more of the show, but, um, you know, I heard. <laughs> one Pete Sweeney on Monday football Monday talk about it's like what do you do if the 49ers win the Super Bowl and I know your answer to that question but uh it is kind of weird just to think that that is even a possibility no it's not weird at all the answer to that is very very easy I will give it to you in a minute but before I do I want to remind you that we are brought to you by DraftKings Sportsbook DraftKings Sportsbook is an official sports betting partner of the NFL download the DraftKings Sportsbook app today and use code SBNNFL for a special offer when you sign up that's code SBNNFL only at DraftKings Sportsbook we are going to react to the playoff games that we saw on Saturday and Sunday and Because this show is the home of the only 100% accurate power rankings in the entire NFL podcast kingdom, we are going to power rank some of the head coaching candidates that are out there because it's a weird thing, as Peter King pointed out in his Football Morning in America column this week, I think there's, what, eight head coach openings, and none of them have been filled, which is a rarity in NFL circles. So we are going to do all of that on today's show. But to answer your question about Jimmy Garoppolo real quick, No matter what happens in the next two games, if Jimmy Garoppolo throws 15 touchdowns and no interceptions in the next two games, he should not be back in a 49ers uniform next season. It's he has shown who he is. The the outcome of two more games doesn't change who he is. Joe Flacco in 2012 threw 11 touchdowns and no picks in the playoff run in their Super Bowl championship run. He was incredible. One of the biggest reasons they won that Super Bowl. And they were absolutely wrong to keep him. And the results proved it because they were basically 500 the rest of his tenure with the Ravens. 
He showed who he was during his time there. He had an incredible playoff run, which is great, but that's a small sample size. The sample with Jimmy Garoppolo is big enough to know who he is. So it would be stupid to keep him if they make the Super Bowl. Why? I mean, he has no touchdown passes in the playoffs. None. <laughs> so, like, what are we doing here? But how is that happening? Like, that's the part I can't wrap my brain around. Like, and I agree with you, to be clear. I'm not saying like you have to keep them because you're winning. But, like, how does Jimmy G amass all of these wins? And I know – like part of the answer is because, you know, the coaching, the talent around him. But even so, like we see how important the quarterback position is in the NFL. And it's like the 49ers are this weird exception right now. Um, and it's annoying to me as someone who keeps making the argument for the Eagles that like it's all about the quarterback. You need mm -hmm. the quarterback. And then people want to be like, well, look at the 49ers. They don't need the quarterback. But I'm like, OK, but the 49ers know they need a quarterback because they traded picks to get one, even though they have Jimmy G. So, like, I don't want to hear, like, the, like, the 49ers don't even think the quarterback matters. They absolutely do. Uh, so, I don't know. Like, how do you reconcile this, I guess, with, like, him being what he is and then this team going on this deep run? And obviously, like, it's it's just crazy. Again, to do the Super Bowl, it's one thing, you know, to make the playoffs and whatever. But And and, and the 49ers didn't, almost didn't even make the playoffs. <laughs> like, yep. Like, if they lose in week 18, they're not even in. So it's it's just crazy how things can change. But my question to you, I guess, is, like, how do you reconcile all of this? Like, how do, how do you be like, well, I have confidence in the team, but not really the quarterback? Because the it's a team game. The defense and the special teams, especially against the Packers, were insane. Bia. Do you realize the 49ers had negative seven yards in the first quarter of this game? Negative seven. They had no completions in the first quarter of this game. Like they didn't complete a pass to a wide receiver until the third quarter. And it was a screen pass to Debo Samuel. Like the, the offense was broken. If Kyle Shanahan had lost this game, he would get crushed for the offense. The 49ers offense in the playoffs has two touchdown drives, one of which was a one-play 26-yard run by Debo Samuel. The offense has been bad, but the defense and the special teams have been incredible. The Packers had eight first downs on their first two drives against the 49ers. They had six the rest of the game. They held the Packers to less than 60 yards in the second half of that game. That's how Jimmy Garoppolo is winning these games. That's It's not difficult to see. He's not great, but the defense and the special teams, I mean, this is the first time since I think 2000 that maybe even further back, I can't remember the actual number, but a team has blocked a field goal and a punt in the same game. Like they block the field goal that keeps points off the board at the end of the first half. And then not only do they block the punt in the fourth quarter, they pick it up and score the touchdown, which I'm not convinced the Niners would be able to score a touchdown if, if Hufanga doesn't pick that up clean and run it into the end zone. I just like I, I keep thinking about how last week on the episode we ranked all the quarterbacks in the playoffs, and yep. I don't think anyone would argue Jimmy G was the worst one remaining. Mm -hmm. And Aaron Rodgers, like who obviously a lot of people not finding likable and understandably so, but even if you hate him, you probably admit like at worst he's like three at the very worst. Maybe you put Mahomes I had him at and Brady one. over him. So did, so or yeah, I had him at two. But like you know, at the if you know if you're the biggest Aaron Rodgers hater, you can only still put him at like you know like three. You know, like at, at the very worst, it's just and that's just crazy to me. And I mean, you know, I think it has to end at some point, right? Like you look at what you know Patrick Mahomes and Josh Allen, and obviously Josh Allen isn't around anymore. But what Patrick Mahomes can do, and it's like, well, 
can they do that? And obviously, well, they were up on the Chiefs in the Super Bowl a couple of years ago. So maybe, but I don't know. Maybe it's going to cost them in the end, though, when you need that crucial drive or when you need a comeback or you're trying to stave off another team's comeback and you leave a big play on the field like Jimmy G obviously did in that Super Bowl. So to me, it still feels like it's going to catch up to them at some point. But in the meantime, it's just like it hasn't co- it hasn't cost them yet. They're still here. So we'll see. And he's done everything it can. I mean, back-to-back weeks in the playoffs, he has thrown crushing interceptions. He threw interceptions in the red zone. I mean, the interception that he throws in, in this Packers game to Kittle, like he has Kittle open, and it takes him so long to throw in the ball. And then when he does throw it, his arm is just not strong enough to get the ball there. Like if you're late on a ball, you can still get it there if you have a rocket arm. That's what we've seen with Trey Lance a couple of times when he's been in. He he doesn't see the field really well right now, but when he does see it, his arm is so strong, he can still get it there. But Jimmy can't do that, and he threw that interception. Troy Aikman pointed it out. He had multiple passes that could have been interceptions, could have been pick sixes. He's throwing late and high into the flat, which is a terrifying combination. But, I mean, Jimmy has done everything he can to sabotage the 49ers. And I know they keep talking him up because they keep winning these games and all players care about are wins. They don't, they sure. overlook everything else. And Jimmy has been flat bad in these playoffs. There's no other way to look at it. I think the NFL more than any other league in part too, because of it's just such a small sample size, you know, it's not like baseball. There's so many games that you can't be accidentally good in baseball. You just can't, <laughs> there's, you know, there's so many games. Maybe you can have an accidentally like good season, maybe at best, but you know, you can't just like have a great career or, you know, be defined that way. Where in football, um, you know, there's so many, there's so fewer games and the, and the sample size is smaller and, you know, statistics and everything kind of like, it's like, how much do they mean sometimes again, because of these small sample sizes and everything. Um, so that's something I think about too. And, uh, another thing I think about is how I was watching some of these, uh, like all 22 highlights, highlights or clips of Jimmy G and a lot of his throws, not only in this game against the Packers, but, you know, dating back to the Cowboys game and the Rams game as well in week 18, and it's just like, it's like you say all the time, you know what he's going to do. He's just going to throw it over the middle. It's like how, like how are teams not able to like shut this down to an even like higher degree? I don't know. Um, but that's just, I, I can't, I, I'm having a hard time wrapping my brain around this. I, again, I, I give you the credit for believing in your team stats, but like, it still just doesn't make sense to me that <laughs> they can go this far. And again, I'm still waiting for the shoe to drop. I think that's the thing. It's like, I can't fully believe it. And like, I won't believe the 49ers are Super Bowl champions until like, I actually see it happen. It is crazy to me that you can look at and see that Josh Allen had a postseason where he threw nine touchdowns and <laughs> yes. no interceptions and had a literally a game against the Patriots where they didn't kick a field goal. They didn't punt. He led them to touchdown drives every single time he throws the game, the go ahead touchdown pass against the chiefs with 13 seconds left. And he is out of the playoffs and you have Jimmy Garoppolo who doesn't have a single touchdown pass and multiple interceptions. And Garoppolo is still alive. Like there is no justice in the world when that is the case, but the defense and the other aspects of the team for the 49ers have been picking up the slack. That's part of what makes football fun is the unexpectedness, right? And uh, the crazy and the drama. And everyone was talking about, oh, this is the greatest week. And uh, I had my doubts going into the week. Only not because I didn't think like the matchups were good or anything. Just because I tend to think the championship round is typically the best, at least in my experience. Because I feel like there's just, there's so much at stake. Like 
getting to go to the Super Bowl is the, like this huge thing. And, you know, that the games are at home and that they're between teams that actually play each other. Like to me, I, I mean, maybe um, I was sleeping on the divisional round clearly, but I've always felt like the conference championship round is to me is almost always better than the Super Bowl because the Super Bowl, it's just like kind of a fake game in the sense of like you're, there's two teams that don't necessarily play each other ever. So there isn't necessarily a lot of, you know, beef or like narratives or storylines in there. And there's so much buildup in two weeks that it kind of gets like exhausting by the end of it. It's kind of like, can we just play the game already? Like there's just so much hype around it. Obviously it's the Super Bowl. So, you know, it's, it's what it's all about. Um, but I don't know. I just think the drama of the championship game, but this was pretty good. And it's almost like now it's going to be hard. <laughs> it's pretty, pretty hard for the championship round to, to top this. And just like the bills chiefs game. I mean, we saw that obviously in the AFC championship last year, but that felt like the AFC championship game this year. It's like, there's another yes. <laughs> AFC championship game after this. So, uh, but Hey, it's a good problem to have the NFL stats. Uh, as we've said, as I was talking about back in week 18, when the Raiders and the chargers were playing, like, it's like, you can't script this better. This is like the highest sports quality product. And again, I'm biased. You're probably biased because we cover this league and everything, but that's just genuinely how I feel. Like, I'm not getting this excitement out of basketball. And I like not other even sports close. too. It's not, it's not even like, like I hate other sports. No, I, I watch a lot of them and I enjoy them, but it's just, yeah, you're right. It's not even close. You had four games that all ended on the final play from scrimmage. And these are playoff games. And it's not like, oh, this was a 10-6 game. And I know the 49ers game was low scoring, but there was weather and other factors mm -hmm. there. I mean, you had the Chiefs and the Bills, 25 points were scored in the final minute and 54 seconds of that game. Like, that's insanity. And the NFL just keeps, like, locking into these games. I mean, that Rams-Bucks game is a blowout. It's boring. I'm sitting there like, I might take a nap during this game. And then all of a sudden, all hell breaks loose. And the Rams just decided they were just flat out not going to hold on to a football. Like, it would have been amazing if the Bucs had won that game, where I think I actually would have been able to look back and say, the Rams blew a 24-point lead, and it wasn't really Matthew Stafford's fault. Like, hmm. it, he didn't really have anything to do with it. He wasn't the one. I mean, he missed the snap. Yeah, and that's fair. But, like, for the most part, he wasn't the one turning it over. He did have a bad throw, I think, on third down. He threw, like, behind um, uh, Everett. Um, but, yeah, yeah, I agree. I agree in general um, with that. Or Higby, not Everett. Um, uh, it's just – it's really wild that – because the NFL does a lot of things wrong. <laughs> and we talk about that all the time. A lot of people talk about that all the fair. time. And there are a lot of, you know, for lack of a better word, like problematic things about the NFL and, you know, a lot of reasons why people have a hard time always like enjoying this product because of, you know, concussions and like, some of the and all the downsides, the ugly side of this league, and a lot of the issues. But somehow it just like it just the product is so good. <laughs> and, and I think, again, it's not even just to the NFL's credit. It's not like they're in complete control and the mastery of this. It's just something about, I think you have to give the players a lot of credit for just being, you know, these incredible athletes and stars who make these big plays. I know that was a big takeaway that they talked about on Monday football Monday. It's like the stars coming out and making the big plays. Um, it's just beautiful. Uh, people call soccer, the beautiful game. I would say this American football to me is the beautiful game. It's just, again, you cannot script this better. This is like, you know, like WWE, except like, but like real, not to say wrestling is fake, but you know, like not, you know, just like actual, 
Well, I mean, it's scripted. It's not fake. Like people are still getting hurt. Anyway, I don't want to open that can of worms. Sorry to any <laughs> wrestling people. I'm not trying to. I like wrestling. I don't watch it as much anymore. But the point is, like, you know, this is it's just so crazy to me that this is just natural. Like the end of that Chiefs game, especially like that's just how does how does that happen? Like that, it's just incredible. I'm a, I'm in awe. It's uh, there are no words to put into words of what we saw this weekend. I've never seen it. I've, I, I called it the greatest playoff weekend in NFL playoff history. Like it's it's staggering to me that all of those things you never get walk off plays in football. It's very, very rare. And we got three walk off field goals and a walk off touchdown like in the same weekend. And this is not like a week 12 game, you know, where everyone's playing. There were only four games and all four of them hit like that. It was something that I don't think we're going to see for a long, long time. If I could touch on that Rams-Bucks game a little bit, um, you know, I think that one play at the end of the game, that Stafford throw, like, that's literally why the Rams traded for him. Like, Jared Goff is not doing that. He's not recognizing the zero blitz, and he's not – that throw, like, it's not like Cooper Cup made this incredible diving catch on the throw. Like, the throw is right on the money. That one play makes the trade worth it for the Rams. I thought that might like it looked like it might even be a touchdown. Like it wasn't, but like it looked like you know I had a chance. And and for Stafford too, I think who got like drilled on that player. You know, had a lot of pressure bearing down on him yep. to make that in that spot. Yeah, um, and that and that's important because you know Stafford, as we pointed out many a time, you know, there wasn't a lot of confidence in the Rams heading into the playoffs. He had like eight touchdowns and eight interceptions in his last four or five games heading into the postseason, mm-hmm. and he didn't have a strong postseason background. Obviously, you know, he played on a lesser team when he went with the Lions three times or whatever it was before. But still, you know, the numbers weren't amazing there. So, and I, you know, even then, even against the Cardinals, it's like, well, he wasn't like carrying the team. He threw the ball 17 times. And also the Cardinals are like not exactly the most uh, tough playoff team um, the way they finished the season. So for him to step up like this, like in a big spot, um, it's it's really good for them in terms of like encouraging that the arrow continues to point up on them. Although now they're taking on a team that they haven't been able to beat, uh, so we'll see if he can come through in uh, in the, in the big spot where it matters most. Do you think we have seen the last of Tom Brady? I heard I can't remember who it was talking about it, but they were saying they were showing the shots of Giselle during the game when the Rams were blowing him out, and she almost looked like relieved and happy, like. Hey, maybe, you know, I can get my husband back. I don't have to worry about him being out there anymore. And Tom's comments this week talking about how it's a family decision and mm. if his heart's not 100% into it. He doesn't know if he can come back. Do you think that, that the last game we've seen of Tom Brady is this epic potential comeback that came up just short? So shout out to my dad, who I brought the story up to you uh, last night. Um, he wasn't aware of it. And I was like, well did you see dad that Tom Brady might not be back? And he's like, Oh no. He's like, why? And it's like, well, uh, his wife doesn't want him to play. And he's like, Oh, he's not coming back. (laughs) So so that was his take on it as a, as a married man, a happily married man uh, to my mom. But uh, that that was his analysis on that. And I was like, well, okay. Uh, You seem pretty confident about that. So I do think that's, that's not nothing. Like, I don't think this is just BS that's getting made out to be more than it really is. I mean, Mm -hmm. And, and I think for Tom to keep putting that message out there is him getting out in front of the narrative and being like, hey, I want to keep playing, but it's not just about my decision. So, like, he doesn't want his legacy, you know, to obviously be, be viewed as like, he walked away. Um, he wants it to be like, OK, like, he couldn't keep playing. His family didn't want him to. And he and he had to do the right thing. And it makes him look like a good guy. Like, oh, what a good guy. Tom Brady, he left the game at a at a high level to be with his family. 
Um, and, I, and I think that matters a lot to him in terms of the narrative and how he's viewed and everything. Um, so it's, it's, it's something, right? Uh, and Florio, your, your guy Florio had an interesting take on it and thought it might be like part of this is him trying to get to another team. Uh, I don't know if I fully believe that. Um, but I don't know. It, it does seem so. Let's say percentage percentage chance that Tom Brady is back in the NFL next year. I'm gonna say I'm gonna say 42. I'm gonna put it under 50. percent Yeah, I think it's gonna take some convincing. I mean, Giselle wanted him to stop playing a few years ago. She talked about concussions. I mean, it, her position has been pretty clear. I think she even threw out a like, "What else do you have to prove?" at him at one point after he won <laughs> one of his titles, which is totally true. Um, I would say it's under 50%. I agree with you. I think he's really going to have to do some work to con- to convince her to come back. And the Bucks potentially, BLG, and maybe this is part of his thinking, they could undergo a lot of change. You know, we don't know yeah. if Gronk is going to be back. He just tweeted yesterday, year 11 in the books, what a ride it's been. Grateful to the Bucks for giving me an opportunity to play another year. To my teammates, thank you for giving everything you had. The sweat we shed and memories will never be forgotten. Thanks to the crew too. Year 12, question mark, with the little eye emoji. That kind of sounds like a farewell from him. You know, so he could be gone. Brady could be gone. Byron Lefwich could potentially be gone as the offensive coordinator, which we'll get into a little bit later in the show. Maybe that's a factor, too. Maybe Brady is like, I'm not trying to be here for a rebuild. And so there's a lot up in the air with the Bucks and with Brady right now. Antonio Brown is gone. Uh, yeah. He left. If you didn't, if you missed that, um, Chris Godwin's going to be a free agent. Um, and last year, you know, what was all the talk about the Bucks heading into this year? It was like, wow, they retained like what? 22, all the starters, basically. Yep. Everybody. Um, and they're not going to be able to do that again. It's just not how the NFL works. Like, you can't do that for more than multiple seasons. So I think some of that uh, is in the equation too. I mean, maybe he assesses the landscape though. Cause you look at it from a landscape perspective, like who in the NFC uh, is really like ahead of him quarterback wise, especially if the other guy, Aaron Rodgers, isn't back, you know, like, so maybe that's part of the reason he wants to say is because it feels like there isn't like, you know, this, this mountain to climb. It's not like there's a warriors. It's not like there's a LeBron, um, you know, some kind of, you know, elite team or elite player uh, in your same conference being a big obstacle to you. So um, I think he wants to keep playing. I don't think that's the question. I think, you know, why, why wouldn't he want to keep playing? He's right. like an MVP candidate. I think he thinks he can. Absolutely. But yeah, but it's not just his decision. It's it's absolutely re- relevant that uh, his his wife doesn't want him to keep playing. So yeah, I would say less. And it's just weird though, because like we weren't even talking about this, you know, like a week ago. This wasn't on anyone's radar. This came up, seemed to really really intensify with Schefter and everything uh, recently. And again, I don't think it's just like fluff. No, it's not. Well, Brady had said before this that he planned to play through twenty twenty two. He's under contract, so like. This has sort of popped up. I know Rob Nikovich the other day said like, well, you know, maybe I, you know, I wouldn't be surprised if he didn't come back. And then they asked Byron Leftwich about it. And he said, well, Tom's playing at a very high level right now. And that's all I'm going to say about that. So like it, this thing has sort of grown fairly recently. So we'll see what happens with Brady and the Bucks. But yeah, it could be a much different Tampa Bay team next year than what we have seen uh, under the Tom Brady regime, so to speak. Um, The other game I feel like is not getting talked about a lot is Cincinnati and Tennessee because Mm. it was the early game on Saturday. And so that game just naturally, it's the oldest game, so it doesn't get a lot of run. 
I heard a really interesting take from Chris Sims about this, and I want to get your perspective. Do you think that Derrick Henry coming back actually hurt the Titans more than helped them? I think in a vacuum, it's better to have him active, but I think their usage of him was wrong. So yes, from that perspective, absolutely. Because look at Dante Foreman, like <laughs> are you more effective, more efficient? And I think they forced it at times with Derrick Henry. And also, yes. by the way, I don't think Derrick Henry is getting enough crap for like not getting that two point conversion in like, <laughs> Like it looks like he didn't reach for the the goal line. It's like, like what's the downside? It's a two point conversion. If you fumble, they're not they're probably not going to run it all the way back to the other end zone to get you know two points for themselves. I mean, maybe I'm being too harsh, and it's easy for me to say I'm not you know like banging in between the tackles there. But to me, it just looked like he wasn't aware, or he just didn't like go all out to get that touchdown. I don't know, or the two point try. Um, so yeah, I think that's a that's a totally fair point. You know, it's might sound like counterintuitive because Derrick Henry is obviously really good when he's fully healthy, but I don't think he was fully healthy. And I, and I think, uh, you know, it's not like uh, the Titans, you know, go on the Super Bowl run if you use Derrick Henry less, but I do think there's absolutely circumstances in the NFL where, you know, a player is playing through injury and that's not the optimal thing for your team. I've seen it with Carson Wentz. Carson Wentz thought his, you know, what was best for the team was him playing through injury, but that wasn't really the case, especially in 2018 when a healthy Nick Foles was clearly a better option than Carson Wentz, who had like a back injury and was coming off an ACL and couldn't really throw the ball the same way he could before. So, yeah, I think there's absolutely validity to that. And I feel like I guess you feel the same way. Oh, I pointed it out on the look ahead on Thursday before the game. We think of Derrick Henry, you know, he's been so great. How are the Titans ever going to recover from that loss? But look at their rushing totals since week 10 or week 11, 103, 270 against the Patriots, 102, 201, 90 against the 49ers, 198 against Miami, 124 against Houston. The deep, dark secret is they didn't really miss Derrick Henry that much. Like they were able to run the ball. And I think that he kind of threw off their their mojo. Like you said, the usage of him was off. You know, there's no way he could have been close to football shape, close to having the explosiveness that he usually has. I mean, how much running was he really doing? He had a broken foot, you know? like So it's, I just think that they gave the ball to him way too much. And uh, I don't care. Mike Vrabel got a little salty after the game. But when you sack the other quarterback nine times, you should win. Like, you should win the game. And the fact that they didn't is kind of pathetic, to be honest with you. And there was a reason that Ryan Tannehill was the number seven quarterback when we did our power rankings, mm. and he lived up to that. I mean, you literally should win because it's never been done before. <laughs> it's never <laughs> been done where a quarterback has been sacked that often and won, right? It was Donovan McNabb. Uh, they showed who was at eight, and then Burrow took his ninth sack there. Um by the way, I don't want to hear any crap from Mr. RJ Ochoa over here talking about how, oh, the podcast jumps on uh, the Bengals and Joe Burrow just like they did in the Chargers. I mean, okay, Bengals in the AFC Champions scheme, pretty good. And also, RJ 0-4 in his playoff picks last week. So I don't want to hear any crap here. <laughs> um, uh, the Bengals are fun, man. That's what it comes down to to me. Um, I know, obviously, there's the, the angle of the Titans disappointing, but no one really believed in them. Like, no one believed in them to go the distance. They, okay, people thought maybe they can, you know, win a game, maybe get to the AFC Championship game, sure. But no one thought they were really going to the Super Bowl or winning it at all. And Tannehill is a big factor there. And obviously, he kind of came on nicely for them in terms of just out of nowhere, you know, when they traded for him and he was their backup and he and he rose and they, they've gone some 
decent playoff runs with him and had, you know, good res- regular season success clearly. But mm-hmm. at the end of the day, like he limits this team's ceiling. Like those were some really bad interceptions. The first play of the game, like that automatically, <laughs> it doesn't mean you can't win, but that sets the wrong tone for the entire game in terms of like things that might go beyond the box score in terms of like confidence and everything. It's like, oh crap. Now we're like, you know, you just, you have this, uh, it's like, you take you kind of shed any sense of invincibility at that point. You're like the other team instantly is like, oh, we can win this. We got a big play in the first play of the game. It's an immediate confidence booster for your opponent like that in a big way. So, uh, yeah, I think him being there and limiting this team's ceiling is tough, uh, and it's just really disappointing for a team that you know has had the success. And I think Vrabel is a good head coach, but it's like, what do they do now? Like, how do they get over the top? How how do the right. Titans get over the hump? Because it's like, okay. Do you replace Tannehill? Like how? How do you do that? <laughs> That's not an easy thing to just do. So, so I don't know. But think about, it. I mean, in an AFC with Allen, Mahomes, Lamar, Herbert, heck, even Derek Carr. Yeah. Mac Jones played well for a rookie in his rookie season. Like you gotta have a Ryan Tannehill is not getting it done. Like he's just not getting it done. You gotta have a high ceiling guy, at quarterback there just to survive in the AFC, maybe in the NFC, like look at the 49ers. They're here, right? That's a different conference. It's a different, you know, uh, menu of quarterbacks, so to speak in the AFC, you gotta have a stud and you're right. Like, I don't know what they do. You know, I don't know what kind of assets they're able or willing to give up, but like, I would look into a Russell Wilson trade. If mm. I was Tennessee, a thousand percent. If Aaron Rodgers wants out of the Packers, I would look into that too. You know, if Deshaun Watson gets his legal situation cleared up, you got to do something. This guy ain't it for you. There's a reason Miami didn't want him anymore. And I think it showed up like even next year. Is Tennessee going to be good? Yep. Will I pick mm-hmm. them to win the Super Bowl? No, no. chance, right? And that that's not going to change. And Derrick Henry is only going to be around for so long, right? Mm-hmm. You can't just rely on him to be your entire offense and, and bear this workload. I mean, you can bear, you can rely on him more than a lot of teams could rely on other running backs, no doubt. He's a special player. I'm not trying to take anything away from Derrick Henry. I'm just saying over the course of time, uh, like that's undefeated. Father Time is undefeated, and I think at some point it's just going to catch up, and they're not going to be able to rely on him. And that doesn't mean, again, that they're going to be a bad team because maybe you know they have these other running backs and they have a good offensive line and a good system and everything. And like you said, they'll make the playoffs, uh, especially because their division isn't too amazing, which is yeah a a nice little boost there for them. Um, So. Yeah, it's just tough. I feel bad because I think they're not like a fraud team to me. Like, look at the teams they beat this year. Like, they beat, you know, like, what, the Bills and the Rams. And there were, like, legit wins in there. Um, But you just don't – you can't count on them in the playoffs. And that's, you know, disappointing at the end of the day. So that's sort of our recap of the divisional round of the playoffs. Was there anything else you wanted to mention before we took our break and got to our coaching power rankings? Uh, no, because I think we'll touch on it in the MVP, LVP section stats. Some of the things, some of the leftover thoughts I had from the games. Okay. So let's take a break. And when we come back, there are eight head coaching vacancies in the NFL. None have been filled. We're going to rank the best candidates for those jobs. Support for this episode comes from Viator. Sure. A good souvenir is always fun, but it's the experiences that people love the most about traveling. When you get back home, that t-shirt might fade and that snow globe might break, but it's those once in a lifetime memories that will last. 
Viator is a website and app where you can book travel experiences like architectural sightseeing, snorkeling excursions, sunset cruises, and so much more. With Viator, you can reserve everything from simple tours to thrilling adventures with over 300,000 bookable experiences in 190 countries. Whether you're a foodie, a history buff, or an adrenaline junkie, there's something for everyone. Plus, Viator's travel experiences have millions of real traveler reviews, so you can have the information you need to book the best activities for your trip. When you book a travel experience with Viator, there's always flexibility and support with free cancellation, payment options, and 24-7 service. Make memories that will last forever with Viator. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. One app, over 300,000 travel experiences you'll remember. Do more with Viator. Hi, I'm Neil Patel, host of Decoder, my show about big ideas and other problems. Right now on Decoder, we're doing a mini-series about one of the biggest ideas that's creating some of the biggest problems around, generative AI. Our series dives deep into some of the most pressing issues surrounding generative AI, with expert Verge reporters covering the cutting-edge frontier of the industry. How could copyright lawsuits completely upend large language models and image generators? How big a problem is AI-generated misinformation for the 2024 election? And what kind of impact are AI chatbots having on human relationships? Decoder's AI series will help you understand what's going on, why, and where it might go from here. Tune in every Monday and Thursday for new episodes of Decoder wherever you get your podcasts. Back here on the Off Day Debrief, part of the SB Nation NFL show. By the way, rate, review, and follow the SB Nation NFL show. If you take the time to leave a review, we promise we will take the time to read it on the show. All right, BLG. We are in the coaching carousel of the NFL, but all we've gotten so far is this team's interviewing this candidate. This team completed their interview with this candidate. We don't know who's going to be where next season. So you have been in the lab as you have been known to do during this season, you have put the coaching candidates through the ringer, through the formula, and you have come out with, what is it, your top five head coaching candidates? Indeed, stats. Do you like to picture that too? Like I'm actually in a lab. Like I'm, I have like test tubes. I'm like pouring yes. chemicals just to, to figure out NFL stuff. You know, not has nothing to do with anything. And a white jacket too, long white coat. Yes. Yep. And the goggles and everything, even though, you know, I'm wearing glasses. Yeah. I, it's all, it's all here stats. This is, this is a serious production. Okay. When we talk about hundred percent accurate, this isn't just like we're saying that and it's a bit, it's like, this is, you know, verifiable. This is out there. Scientists agree. Yes. Experts agree. Um, okay. So should I work from bottom up? Is that, yes. does that sound good to you? Okay. Number five on my list of top five. And I want to add a disclaimer here, which is I, I said it to stats before the show. Ranking, you know, coaches is a little tough because I think some coaches fit in better in like marketplaces and environments than other ones. It's tough to have just kind of this master list and say this head coach at the top of my list is necessarily the best for every team. Although I think a great coach kind of does feel uh but but it does fit in that description. And, you know, the example I would use here is like Jacksonville, I think is at a much different stage than let's say like the Raiders and the best head coach for those two teams might not be the same guy. But anyway, Agreed. all that preamble out of the way. Uh, Jim Caldwell stats I have at number five. Jim Caldwell, I feel like kind of gets crap for some of the, you know, the old school thinking. And that's something I didn't like about him in terms of being conservative. But his players fought hard for him. Everyone always likes to talk about how, it was kind of crazy that the Lions got rid of him when you look at what they did under him and then what they where they've been since. 
and, and I kind of get why they moved on. I don't think it was totally irrational. Um, but Jim Caldwell has overseen some truly tremendous quarterback play and not just with Peyton Manning and the Colts, obviously getting some of the best years out of him, but some of the Matthew Stafford's best seasons prior to the, you know, the Rams this year were certainly under Jim Caldwell. When Joe Flacco went on that crazy run that you mentioned earlier in the show, guess who had a run in, or I guess who had a part in that Jim Caldwell. So uh, I think he's a really good coach. I think the players fight hard for him. And to me, when you're a team like Jacksonville and you're just looking to establish some credibility and move up and maybe he's not the guy to eventually get you over the top. And obviously he's older, but he can at least like bring you up from the dumpster fire status you've maintained for so long that I feel like that's kind of like a no brainer option. If Jim Caldwell were to go to the Jags, you know what I know he's not going to do. I know he's not going to skip the team flight to go to a frigging <laughs> nightclub and be seen with some woman who's not his wife. I know that Jim Caldwell is not going to do that. And I totally agree with you. Like I was kind of ready to ding Jim Caldwell a little bit, be like, well, with the Colts every year he was there, they got worse. But then you look at what he did with the lions. He had winning seasons in three out of his four years with Detroit. You know who does that with the lions? Nobody. <laughs> They haven't had a head coach do that. I went back and looked since Wayne Fonts in the mid-90s, and nobody listening to this even has any idea who the hell Wayne Fonts is. Yeah, that just goes right. That just goes to show you the value that this guy has and what a good job he did. And he has playoff and Super Bowl experience, which I think is a huge plus for a head coach. And he's an offensive coach, like you said. And to me, that that's a big deal. You have to, to me, I shouldn't say have to. But it's a huge, huge plus if you can find an offensive guy to be your head coach. Because if you don't have that, whoever you hire as your offensive coordinator, if they have any degree of success, is going to leave to become a head coach. And you're going to have to replace that person. And it's very hard to do. And it potentially messes with your continuity, which I think is a huge factor when you're talking about quarterback play. So I think Jim Caldwell absolutely deserves to be on the list. You're right. And Jacksonville is a perfect spot for him. There's a reason these rankings are 100% accurate. You're wearing almost like a Honolulu blue uh, polo or whatever you have going on there. Stats, by the way, speaking of the Lions. True. You got some good synergy there. And yeah, I would like to see Caldwell working with Trevor Lawrence because as you've kind of talked about before, we didn't really see the Trevor Lawrence rookie season that, you know, we would have liked to see, not to say that, you know, he's done like, and he can't, he can't get better. And he did end the season on a, on a high note, which is good to see. And I think, you know, Jacksonville is such a dumpster fire. You have to give him somewhat of a mulligan because they're just like such a disaster. And, and also all the rookie quarterbacks weren't like lighting the league on fire. So, you know, you add all that in there, but I would like to see Caldwell get a chance to work with Trevor Lawrence and see what we make of that. Are you ready for my next one stats? Fire away. All right. You should be because this one is near and dear to your heart and mine too. And it's not Jonathan Gannon, who I think it's crazy how he is being considered like a favorite, apparently, for the Texans job. He was ruled out of the Broncos job. So we'll see still in the mix in Minnesota, reportedly. To me, why would you hire Jonathan Gannon when you can hire a better version of him in D'Amico Ryans? Like D'Amico Ryans has everything that Jonathan Gannon is getting praised for in terms of being like this excellent interviewer and like savvy and leadership and all this stuff and a, like a bright mind like D'Amico Ryan's checks all those same boxes and his defense is actually good. <laughs> and like he's doing <laughs> major things to put the 49ers in this position where they're one game away from the Super Bowl. It's not because of Jimmy G like you said, it's because of that defense and the special teams and the coaching and D'Amico Ryan's is a big part of that. And there was a lot of question about, okay, 
how is this 49ers defense going to look like with Robert Saligon? Because everyone thought, you know, he was the mastermind. And again, I'm not trying to take credit away from him. Um, but like there was, there was some, some, there was some question, like, is the defense going to be able to maintain with a guy who isn't super experienced in D'Amico? And sure enough, it's been, it's been great. And obviously there's a lot of talent on that side of the ball, but still to be like shutting down Dak like he did and to be shutting down Aaron Rodgers like he did on the road in both of those environments. Um, I think D'Amico Ryans absolutely deserves a look. And it sounds like the Vikings, I think, are interviewing him. And I don't think he's getting enough attention, honestly. I think the Raiders are going to try and interview him also. Uh, first of all, shut up, because I don't want D'Amico Ryans to go anywhere. <laughs> uh, I actually like the way he calls the defense better than Robert Sala, because I think he blitzes more often and he mixes, he disguises things more often than Robert Sala did, which I think is a huge part of their success this year, because he's done it with a much worse secondary than Robert Sala had. Um, you got to like everything about D'Amico. And I remember when he was hired, Kyle Shanahan said, yeah, we're going to go with D'Amico Ryans. And people are like, do you think he's going to be, you know, he's never been a defensive coordinator before. And he's like, I think he's going to be a head coach. Like Kyle was the first person Mm -hmm. to literally come out and say that like immediately. And I was like, whoa, that kind of surprised me. The only thing that scares me a little with him, and it's not really about him specifically. It's just more about the fact that this is literally his first season as a defensive coordinator and Mm -hmm. head coaching is not, the same as coordinating head coaching is sure. a management position and not to say that D'Amico Ryan's can't do it. Um, but what I mean by that is you're different in your job after you've been there for a while. And the example I'll give is like when I first was at ESPN, they put me on Mike and Mike in the morning, which was the biggest sports Flex. show in the country. And the first time I was on Mike and Mike, I was like, I'm going to, you know, I'm going to do everything I can and make this the best. What do you need me to do? Oh, you want me to cut this highlight? I'm going to make this the best highlight that's ever been cut in the history. And I devoted 100% of myself to every single task that I was doing, which is what you should do. But after I had been there for a couple of years and they started giving me opportunities to produce the show, I started looking at the bigger picture of my job. I was still doing my regular duties, but I was also looking like, okay, if I was producing, what would I be doing? I was watching the producer, seeing how he handled certain different situations. With D'Amico Ryans, I feel like he's now just trying to, you know, he's focused on coordinating and he's doing the job. Next year, I think he's going to, you know, be thinking of his job in terms of the bigger picture and eventually getting a promotion to a head coach. I would love to hire D'Amico Ryans after next year as I could, if I could, because Mm. I think he'd be much more prepared to be the head coach. But, you know, you don't always get those opportunities. You might have to hire him a year early. But that's the only thing that gives me pause about him. Otherwise, I think he's a great call by you. But that's like Brandon Staley, right? Just like the one and done. And that's what some people have compared uh, Gannon to, which, again, I just think. And look, uh, I'm not even coming from this at a standpoint that I want Jonathan Gannon back. Like, I'm not, I don't think he should be fired. You know, if he doesn't get a job, the Eagles should fire him. Mm-hmm. I'm not saying that, but like, I'm not like saying like a lot of Eagles fans want to see him go, but it's just the logical side of me. Just like, I, I can't grip that part of it. Like, yes, I could acknowledge this might actually be good for the Eagles, but I can't, like, how is this happening? I, don't, I just don't get it. Um, so D'Amico is my number four. And I do think, by the way, he will be a good head coach because players love him. At least like back when he not even just talking about now with the 49ers. I can't speak to that as much, although I'm guessing they do. They um, do. But back when he was on the Eagles, like his teammates loved him. Like they you know, like and I think you know, even before Kyle Shanahan said that Chip Kelly, once upon a time, a former 49ers head coach, uh, said that the same thing. Like he could see D'Amico Ryan's being a head coach um, one day. So uh, D'Amico absolutely deserved a shot. Number three on my list stats is Brian Flores. 
and Ooh, I have him I a little bit lower. Huh? I don't, don't know don't about know? this one. Go ahead. Well, okay. I think it is indisputable that like he's a good coach. Like he's gotten results, and obviously the Dolphins got off to a slow start. Um, but also, you have to consider they haven't had a franchise quarterback in his tenure. As whose a, fault is that? Uh, well, didn't he not want to? Didn't he? Wasn't he the one pushing for Deshaun Watson? I mean, not to totally wash his hands clean, but um, I think the one thing with Flores that concerns me though is that part of it is the like the personnel hungry side, and I think that comes from the built like being around Bill Belichick and seeing an environment where the coach has all of this power and then kind of being conditioned to think that's like normal. And that is like the model for success. And I think many times in the NFL with few exceptions, and even those situations don't always age well, like, you know, Seattle or new England where the coach has all that personnel power. So that kind of concerns me that part of it. And obviously I think that's an underrated aspect of the Panthers downfall and why I really in hindsight, probably hindsight should have been lower on Matt rule because I liked him as a coach, but I thought like the personnel thing, I kind of just looked over that, but I remember that was a big deal when he got to Carolina and why he got that six year deal and everything. Um, So uh, that part makes me nervous, but I think you put him in, let's say the giants hire him. I think the Giants are suddenly not like a juggernaut, but they're they're suddenly an actually kind of respectable team that might be able to like not be a total pushover and a total pathetic team. So uh, I, I do think he does raise a team's floor, but you seem suspect. Why? I think that's a good way to put it. I agree with you. He does raise a team's floor. I do not think he is a bad head coach, but you talk about it all the time. Like, what is the ceiling with Brian Flores? And I know the Dolphins closed out the year great, but you know what? The early games count too. And they were one and seven. And like that, you know, you can't just wash that away. And I think that the the personnel part of it is big for me. Like you had an opportunity to take either Tua Tonga Vailoa or Justin Herbert. Justin Herbert, who appears to be a transcendent quarterback. And you look at those two guys and you pick Tua, who by the way also was coming off a scary, scary injury. And I know that like a lot goes into that, and it's not all Brian Flores, and I get that. But I just have a hard time thinking that if your head coach was pounding the table and screaming for a quarterback, I have a hard time thinking that the team is going to pick the other guy. And it's all about developing a quarterback there. And I don't know that Flores is the guy to do it. I just, I don't know. I just don't love him. I just, I don't fall in love with him. I get that he raises the floor, but like, what has he really done in his time with Miami? He was 5-11 and his first year, took over a bad team. 10 and six the next year. Great. But here we are nine and eight. And like uh, Ryan Fitzpatrick kind of pulled his ass out of the fire a few times with the Dolphins in that 10 win season. So I don't know. Uh, To me, I wouldn't be like super pumped up if my team hired Brian Flores. Well, I do have to have him three. You know, I don't have him uh, at one of these top two spots, um, which number two is a man who you are familiar with stats. And I feel like might be, a, a bit of wild card here, maybe controversial to some, but I'm putting Jim Harbaugh as the number two candidate. And again, to be clear, I don't think Jim Harbaugh is the right coach for just any job. Like, yes. you, like the Jaguars cannot obviously hire Jim Caldwell. I mean, uh, Jim Harbaugh. You can't do that because you just came off this urban thing. <laughs> because and... Trent Baalke's there and he hates Trent Baalke with the white hot passion of a thousand suns. 
Well, that too. I didn't even think of that. That's extremely relevant. But also just that kind of team. Like you can't put Harbaugh in a place that is like trying to rebuild. You know, you have mm-hmm. to put him in a team that's ready to win now. I think that's the kind of coach he is. And I think the Raiders could be a reasonable fit in that regard. I just think he he kind of gets like underrated in terms of what he did in the NFL. Again, I'm not the biggest college football guy, so I can't speak to everything going on at Michigan. And I think it's a different dynamic anyway with recruiting and everything. And I don't know. College football is just a whole different beast. Obviously, though, the, the Michigan getting to where they did this year is a nice thing, a nice sign. But just evaluating him in the NFL. I mean, 44-19-1. He never had a losing season. His worst season was like, you know, a disaster season at the end where things were falling apart and the writing was kind of on the wall for him. And he went 8-8 eight and eight still. Like, <laughs> and he almost won a Super Bowl. He, he wasn't that far off from showing he could do that, as you know. Um, it wasn't like, you know, the, the 49ers didn't have a chance in that game. He very much did. So uh, I think Harbaugh is, and, and then also, so 44-19-1 in the regular season, and then, you know, 5-3 and three in the postseason. Um, I, I, I just think that he is, he's pretty good. And maybe I'm overrating it, and he is going to be a Urban Meyer flameout. Um, but I don't think so. I think there's enough of a track record in the NFL to, and if you put him on the Raiders, I think, I think that'd be pretty good. I agree with you that it's all about the right spot because if you just look at the resume, it's impeccable. He comes in in 2011 with the lockout. There's no off season, yeah. no nothing. And he comes in and goes 13 and three with a 49ers team that had been middling at best before he got there. 13 and three, 11, four and one, 12 and four, three straight NFC title games, a Super Bowl berth. And let's be honest. One of the NFC title games they lost to was one of the great Seahawks teams that we have ever seen. Like yeah. uh, his his just flat resume on paper is incredible. The problem is Jim Harbaugh, the person, he's <laughs> crazy. Like he is <laughs> crazy and he doesn't, um, he has no, like we talk about the head coach as like a management position. Yeah. He has no sense of that. He's great with the players. The players love him. He does things with the players like he used to give up his his first class seat on the plane to players and stuff like he does stuff like that. They like him. But in terms of like working, uh, what do they call it? Like managing upward, working with the general manager, working with the owner. There's that famous story with the 49ers where they're in a meeting watching film and Jed York, the owner of the 49ers, walks in the meeting and Jim Harbaugh turns and says, you got to get out of here. This meeting is for men only. Like you can't say that to your boss. In front of the entire team. Like, you cannot do that. You know, there's the other famous story where they're they're working out Peyton Manning. And because remember, this is when Peyton Manning was leaving the Colts. And Harbaugh and Peyton Manning are having a catch. And Harbaugh's laughing at Peyton Manning because he can't throw the ball. He's like, is this as hard as you can throw it? Like, that's why Peyton Manning didn't go to the 49ers. Jim Harbaugh's laughing at it. Like, he doesn't have this like sense of just kind of massaging situations. And I think because of that, he's a short-term guy. He's a short-term fix. Uh, We had Joe Staley on the Niners nation podcast who played with Jim Harbaugh. And one thing Staley pointed out is like, he's still using all the same expressions and like motivational stuff that he did with the 49ers. He's doing the exact same thing at Michigan. He's still saying who's got it better than us. He bought all the 49ers, like these kind of like blue collar shirts and he did the exact same thing at Michigan. And it's like, yeah, that works when you got new players every four years at Michigan. But in the pros, that message is going to get old really, really quickly. So it's not a long-term thing with Harbaugh. Mm-hmm. The Raiders is a good 
that's a good spot because they have talent on the roster. They have a quarterback that I think that you can win with. And I don't know, like, I'm trying to think of another spot outside of the Raiders, maybe the Broncos, maybe. Mm. Um, but it's got to be the right fit because he's he's just a friggin' firecracker, man. Totally agree with you on the short term thing. You're not hiring, you're, you know, this guy to be the head coach of your team for the next ten years. And honestly, a lot of teams are because that's a lot of time, and a lot of coaches sure. don't last that long. Um, but yeah, for a team that's kind of like kind of needs something to get over the top, and I think the Raiders, you know, fit in that box for sure. And also, what do we always say on this show? Stats about the Raiders: the NFL is better when the Raiders are good. Yep. I think the NFL is also better when Jim Harbaugh is in it because he was so much fun. At least, oh you know, you know, I can't speak to it from, you know, being in it like you were, but from the outside looking in, just seeing him be ballistic on the sidelines and everything. Like, I thought that was fun. Um, I wasn't necessarily like cheering for him always, but I just, I liked the theater of it. It was dramatic and, uh, and it was just fun. It was something we don't see in the NFL always. A lot of, you know, stoic head coaches on the sideline. Meanwhile, Jim Harbaugh is, just, <laughs> is, is going crazy and almost getting into a fight with Jim Schwartz at one point after a game. And it's just like, that was just so, that was so much fun. Do you so know really why that look, happened? The handshake thing? Yeah. Do you know why that happened? So Harbaugh and Schwartz are having dinner before that season starts. And they're talking about like the lockout. And Jim Schwartz says to him, Hey, you're screwed, man. I don't envy you at all. You got, you're coming in with no off season, your first year, like you're not going to be able to win. And Harbaugh was pissed about that the whole time. So of course the Niners come back and beat the lions late in the fourth quarter. And that's why Harbaugh gave him the smack on the back. Like, Oh yeah, I'm, I'm in trouble. I'm not going to be able to win. Eat that Jim Schwartz. That's how that fight started. Well, Jimbo was also a very intense guy. People should know. And uh, short fuse. And it's not going to take, crap True. uh so that was also part of it too just him being explosive but yeah uh so i think harbaugh is number two again he's not for every team so it's kind of hard to rank him perfectly but i think his uh, he arguably is the highest upside of any coach just based on like he has a proven track record that he can do this and i think there's a lot of value in that i don't think that was like that wasn't just a product of like you know having aaron Rodgers or like some elite quarterback you had alex smith and colin kaepernick who obviously in their heyday did a lot of good things and kaepernick for a time was like you could argue he's one of the most dangerous quarterbacks in the league, especially on his run. Like teams didn't know how to defend him. Even that might not have been the best quarterback, but he was such a weapon. Um, but like those aren't, you know, those aren't guys who, you know, are Hall of Famers by any means. Like he wasn't like he was just riding great quarterbacks. So I think that's definitely a factor. And I think he can get results. Uh, anything else on Harbaugh stats before I drove my number one? No, I agree. Like Derek Carr would probably be the best quarterback Jim Harbaugh's ever had. He's never had a quarterback even make a Pro Bowl, and everybody makes the Pro Bowl. So that's a good point by you. Yeah. Uh, number one, <laughs> gonna laugh. It is. A lot of people. <laughs> oh, I know who, who it is. is. We all know who it is. It's Doug Peterson. <laughs> How could it not be? He's the. Not only he's the only. Uh, he he's a head coach out there with a Super Bowl ring that he absolutely. The Doug Peterson narrative got way warped in terms of like well actually frank reich was the only reason he was good and that is just such a load of crap like first of all what has frank reich done with the colts since leaving philly like okay there haven't been a joke i think and i think frank reich is a good coach i'm not even trying to take say like he sucks or anything this idea he was the mastermind and doug is like some idiot who didn't know what he was doing <laughs> that's just not true and I think it's pathetic that Doug doesn't seem to be a stronger candidate for some of these jobs. And I think there are some serious drawbacks to Doug. I'm not going to say he's perfect. You kind of have to wonder, 
can he assemble a staff? Because that wasn't always like the thing that uh, he was like, that was a, a downfall in Philly. He wasn't always necessarily get the highest replacements. Although I do think, you know, having a year out of the league has given him more time to kind of call up people and make these connections and, and kind of work with some of that. Um, so I think he probably can figure something out there. And he does what I think head coaches need to do almost more than anything, which is be able to respond to adversity. Like, because things are going to go wrong during the course of an NFL season, even for the best teams. Look at the Chiefs this year. They had, a, you know, they had some rough stretches. Um, name any team, basically, and even the best ones. And they've had rough stretches. There just are. There's always a bad loss in there or like a little rut you're in. It's And then it's how do you respond to that? Do you let that snowball and the season gets out of control and you spiral? Not everything's always going to be perfect. You're not always going to be playing with the lead, so to speak. So, And I think Doug has clearly shown he can navigate those situations. And part of that is he's just like unflappable in a way where like he, he doesn't get too emotional. He doesn't get too down when the, the team is struggling, keeps things the same. And, and a, a lot of players have talked about that as like a, a like a grounding factor, like a, like a beacon they can point to of like, Hey, we're going to be okay. We know we're going to be okay. We don't have to panic because we still have time. We can get this together. We can be resilient. And we saw that in Philly and we saw Doug Peterson win a freaking Super Bowl and almost <laughs> get back to another one with a backup quarterback. Like, I know Nick Foles did incredible things, and he deserves credit, but we've seen what Nick Foles is in the NFL since then. You got ben, this is a guy who got benched for Gardner Minshew and a guy who got benched for Mitchell Trubisky and the third-string quarterback this year for the Bears. So, like, this isn't, you know, again, a head coach just riding amazing quarterback play throughout. And I think Carson Wentz should have taken more blame and more of the hit than Doug Peterson did. Like, think about that. I think Carson Wentz was so much more to blame for the Eagles' 2020 issues, yet he gets traded and gets a starting job the next year and doesn't get, like, penalized at all. And Doug Peterson isn't even in the league, which part of that might have just been him, you know, wanting to take some time off, and understandably so, because he had two years left on his deal. Why work when you're getting paid and you you need a break? But to me, it would be crazy, like, if he doesn't get hired in this cycle. I think he absolutely adds stability to a team, you know, like the Jags. You know, obviously he's been connected there. Um, but honestly, any team, I think any team he makes sense for, I would like to see him go to the Raiders. I don't think he will. Um, to me, it's crazy how he is not getting more serious interest. So to this point, as we're recording this, I haven't seen anyone like say that they've requested a second interview with Doug Peterson. It is crazy. Like, what's the knock on Peterson that that things went bad with Carson Wentz? Like, OK, but look at what Carson Wentz <laughs> has done to the Colts. So, yeah, I yeah. totally get that. I think the fact that the quarterback situation soured there, I think Peterson's going to learn from that. I almost look at that as like a positive because he he I'm sure he knows by now what went wrong and where, you know, how he could have managed things differently. And the other thing I like about Doug Peterson, I think this is something that every head coach needs to be able to do in 2021 is he plays the game the right way. He knows you got to go for it on fourth and short. Like that's part of it. And that's something that we're going to get into when we get into our MVPs and LVPs for me, like that is a huge, huge factor. You talked about kind of like the old school thinking with Jim Caldwell, that, that matters to me. If I was an owner, Mm -hmm. that would be a big point of concern with who I hired for my team. I think Doug Peterson absolutely should, he should have a job. For sure. Uh, I know there's Why others. Not? Like, like, right. Like, teams out here hiring Joe Judge. Like, we, Doug Pearson can't get a job. Are you kidding me? Yeah, I agree. I, and and temperament, too. Like, that's a, that's a good point by you. Like, Peterson is a good manager of people. Joe Judge is not. And, like, it wasn't difficult to see. You could tell from the first friggin' press conference. So, 
So that's the list. Uh, you have number five, Jim Caldwell. Number four, mm-hmm. D'Amico Ryans. Number three, Brian Flores. Number two, Jim Harbaugh. And number one, Doug Peterson. That's the only 100% accurate head coaching candidate power rankings. All right, BLG. It's MVP and LVP time. I have two MVPs, I believe, this week. Is that correct? That is right. So why don't you start us off? All right. I'm starting you off, and I am giving it to – it's kind of a combination – you know what? It's not. I'm not going to make it a combination. I changed my mind last <laughs> second. I'm going to give it to Richard Hightower, the special teams coach of the San Francisco 49ers, <laughs> who I have crushed at times this year because the 49ers special teams this year have been bad. Fortunately, they played the Packers, who had the worst special teams in the league. But here's why I give Richard Hightower credit. Number one, the 49ers blocked the field goal at the end of the first half. The guy that blocked the field goal, Jimmy Ward, said in his press conference, Richard Hightower told me exactly how to do this. He's the reason we did it. Jordan Willis literally pins the arm of the guy that's supposed to block Jimmy Ward, which lets Ward go right past him with no resistance and block the field goal. They blocked the punt, obviously, in the fourth quarter at the end of that game, which is huge, huge credit to Richard Hightower for that. That's how they got their only touchdown. And... To start the second half, Debo Samuel had a 50-yard kick return that put him at midfield, which helped him get a field goal. All of that goes to the special teams, and I've knocked him for for the complete opposite scenarios many, many times during the year and in the playoffs, too. He deserves a ton of credit. And, oh, by the way, Robbie Gold drilling the game-winning field goal at Mm. the end of the game. Richard Hightower gets my MVP point. And you've been crushing the 49ers punter for forever. Um, So I feel like, yeah, along those lines. It's true. Yeah. Um, all right. My MVP point here, and I'm kind of worried about what you're going to go with your second one, because, uh, I'm picking the quarterback from the losing game, but like, I just don't think like what more could have Josh Allen done like in that game, you know, reasonably (laughs) and and in the playoffs, like you said, in general, like didn't throw an interception, didn't turn the ball over. Right. Like like, he was, he was perfect. It is such a crime that he's not getting to play still. Uh, he was incredible. He stepped up in a big way. And also, like, putting his contact or his performance in more context, you know, there was a lot of question this year. Like, is he going to be able to sustain, you know, his success from last season after the accuracy percentage jumped up so high? And he's clearly erased all doubt that, you know, he is worth this contract. He is one of the best three quarterbacks in the NFL, not two. You know, he's he, he's clearly up there. He's amazing. He was so fun to watch. Um, and I just think it would be kind of a shame, like if he didn't get some kind of recognition. So I'm sorry, Josh, that you have to live with, uh, an odd cast MVP point as the highest form of recognition, although <laughs> it is worth a lot. So, uh, there is that, but you know, obviously not as good as a playoff win. So I have to give Josh Allen some love here. Uh, I think there are situations, I think this has happened in like hockey before, for example, where like the Stanley cup MVP, I forget the name of the award. Sorry, hockey people. Um, has been from like a losing team. I think like Ron Hextall, it actually happened to him. Like he was so good in the series, but his team lost, but they still gave it to him because he was like so incredible. And I think that's what like this kind of performance was. Josh Allen was so incredible in a loss. And I think that deserves to be recognized. It can't be as simple as always like, well, he didn't win. So he shouldn't get any credit. Like, no, like he deserves a ton of credit. You're a hundred percent right. And this is like, think of what we just saw with Josh Allen. Like the Bills entire season was built to get back to the playoffs and beat the Kansas City Chiefs. And imagine if you're Josh Allen, right? Like 
You lose to Kansas City last year. You're, you work for months, the whole summer in the offseason to get better and prepare for the Chiefs. You're training week in, week out. You grind through an extra long regular season to get back to the playoffs. Then you have to face the division rival Patriots in the playoffs, and you absolutely murder them. Everything sets up. You get back to the Chiefs finally here here's your opportunity that you've been waiting months for to get back to you get back and you crush it you do everything possible you're running around you're chucking touchdowns you throw a go-ahead touchdown with 13 seconds left in the game and you still lose how do you sit with that for a whole year i can't even imagine what it's like being him and you could see after the game there's a great shot of him kind of like amidst the whole chief celebration and he's just walking around looking at it stewing you could already see the fire like burning within him i can't imagine what it's like to be him he was incredible and i agree he's like at worst top two or three quarterback in the league i want to give him a hug like that's like that's what it feels <laughs> like and i'm not even necessarily like a huge bills fan or about our josh allen fan you know i like him but like I just feel like I just feel bad, man. I feel like you deserved more than this. Um, so it's a bummer. Uh, what's your second MVP stats? My second MVP, and this is going to anger some members of the SB Nation NFL show. I got to give it to Joe mm. Burrow. Like you get sacked nine times in a playoff game. And I know some of that's on him because sacks are, you know, as much a quarterback stat as an offensive line stat. But he got it done when they needed to. And the thing I love about him is his attitude, you know, coming into the, into the game, he talked about, this is the standard from now on, right? He's setting the tone in Cincinnati. Cincinnati is where careers went to die, especially for quarterbacks. And he comes in there and he says all the right things. And he actually does it. Like Baker said a lot of good things too, when he became the quarterback of the Browns, but he hasn't had the success that Joe Burrow is having. Joe Burrow is coming out. He's backing up the talk. And I love after the game. What does he say? Stop calling us a Cinderella. I'm tired of hearing that. We're a good team and we're coming for all of it. Like that is so huge in terms of changing a culture and building confidence with your team. Like those guys hear that. Everybody in the world knows that Joe Burrow said that. And when he goes out and wins these games, that makes everybody else believe that they can win those games too. You know, we hear all the stories last year before the Super Bowl, right? Oh, Tom Brady's texting everybody every night that we're going to win the game. Well, that's what Joe Burrow is kind of doing the same mm-hmm. thing. I love that he came out and stuck it in there. I don't think he's going to be intimidated at all by the Kansas City Chiefs. Did you hear what he said? He said, uh, they said, are you worried about playing in Arrowhead? He's like, the SEC stadiums get louder than these NFL stadiums. Like, <sighs> he's got some moxie there, and I love it. I am totally buying into Joe Burrow. The Chiefs. Uh, might have to worry about Joe Burrow. I think is how he's probably thinking about it too. Like, right. why, why do I have to worry about the Chiefs? The Chiefs have to worry about me. And that's something that, you know, <laughs> if some quarterback said that or thought that way, it'd be kind of a little silly. But for him, uh, it's believable and he can pull it off. And you should almost call him Joe Burrow because he's got ice in his veins. I love him. He's great. I know it's really bad, of course. <laughs> Hold on. I had to do we it. We can't just skip over that and act like you yeah, didn't we just can. say that. What? It was good. <laughs> He's How long were you he's, waiting to drop that on cool. us? Uh, you know, probably the whole show. But um, <laughs> even though I didn't have him as my pick, but uh, it was good. People liked it. Um, 
Yeah, I, I really like Joe Burrow. And again, before the playoffs started, I, I said the Bengals. I think the Bengals, I might actually take the Bengals as my AFC Super Bowl pick because I believe in him. I believe in him so much. Stats, I'm pretty sure not. I have to crunch the numbers a little bit further. But I think Joe Burrow might end our MVP, LVP section on the season, on the aggregate, as like the leader, as the MVP. Wow. Um, so, and part of that, I think, you know, is expectation too, because an issue that I have with our standings uh, is Patrick Mahomes has one LVP point and no MVP points, which is obviously uh, not totally reflective, I think, of Patrick Mahomes and kind of is reflective of how the Chiefs are kind of just boring and Mahomes' success can be boring. Um, so I was interested to see you didn't pick him. Um, but uh, yeah, let's switch over to LVPs here. One more thing I want to point out about Joe Burrow. First number one overall draft pick at quarterback to reach the conference title game in his second season. And his first season ended with a horrible knee injury. Think about like he's got the Bengals in the NFC championship game in his second season coming off a destroyed knee. It's one of their first their first road win in franchise history. I forgot to add that. Like that's crazy. That's insane. Like, Like he's the first quarterback to ever do that for Cincy. Yeah, to put that in perspective is crazy. All right, I only have one LVP this week. So do you want to go first with your LVP so you don't have to go back to back? I won't. We don't need to spend a lot of time on this. We already talked about Ryan Tannehill, but I mean, he obviously deserves to be in there. You know, you throw three picks like that, including one to start the game. It's just, you know, what are you doing? And and what can the Titans really do? So we don't need to rehash all that, but I think he was an obvious pick. Um, who are you going to take? I'm actually going to take Sean McDermott of the Buffalo Bills. And it's, I love McDermott. I've been a McDermott fan. I've given him a ton of credit, but I thought that he deserves a lot of criticism for this game. And we talk about playing the game the right way. And I don't think he did multiple times in this game. He gave the ball back to the chiefs on fourth and short fourth and four at the Buffalo Bills, 49 yard line in the second quarter. He punts later in the game. It was fourth and one at the 34-yard line. He doesn't go for it. In games like this, against that quarterback, you have to play the game the right way. Put the ball in the hands of your best player, not to mention the fact that the defense on that final drive with 13 seconds to go, I mean, that first play to Tyree Kill, they just gave them the yards. They just gave it up in a a situation where the Chiefs had multiple timeouts and only needed a field goal. Why are you giving anybody free yards? That just doesn't make any sense to me. So I think that McDermott, I love him, but I think that he came up short in a big spot, and I hope he learns from it because I think he's a great, great head coach, but I think he screwed it up big time. Yeah, I kind of almost got old takes exposed a little bit here because after that first Bills drive, like I was like, okay, he's coaching the win. He went for it on fourth down, fourth and right. two or whatever, kind of like around midfield. And then, you know, they went for the touchdown too. And so they just settled in for the field goal. Um, so I was like, okay, he gets it. Like he's going to go balls to the wall on this game and he's going to go all out and he, and he gets it. And then, yeah, you saw that. And it kind of comes back to how you kind of need to be married to the analytics as opposed to just dating them. Um, <laughs> and so that was disappointing to me. And I, this is something I also think people aren't talking about enough is like the decision to not go for two at the end. And in the moment, I I was watching this game with my parents and I said, like, this is tough. Like, I feel tough. Like, I don't feel like this is a no brainer to me. I feel like this is so tough to go for it here. But like I giving it more time and not just in hindsight, like I, this wasn't just like, well, they lost. So they should have went for two. Like I was saying it in the moment when mm-hmm. I was watching this game. And as I was kind of like thinking through it, I was saying, I think you have to frame it that 
if you go for two, you're putting the ball in Josh Allen's hands and you're having him decide the game. It's in your control. You're putting the game in your control. When you, you, you go for the extra point and it's a tie game, you're putting the game in the Chiefs' control and Patrick Mahomes' control. And then in a situation where if you get to overtime, where luck is involved and a coin flip is involved, like you know all that information. That's information you can act on. And if you go for two there, and the other thing I said about this too, and we've talked about like, what's the recipe to beat the Chiefs? You have to be perfect. You have to do everything you can to maximize. You can't leave an opportunity on the board and be like, oh, well, we, you know, we should have went for it there. You can't do that against this team. Chiefs are the team that like you have to put them in a coffin and then like wrap a bunch of chain around that and then like put <laughs> flamethrower the coffin and then like put that in a big like, you have to do like every possible thing. They're like the bad guy in the movie that you can't kill. Like you have to make sure like every you have to go overkill to make sure that guy is dead and gone and buried and he can't come back to haunt you. Like the Chiefs are like that. So I think you have to look at it that way too. And they should have gone for two because if they get the two point conversion, the Chiefs aren't getting a touchdown in, in 13 seconds. It's not likely, but it is entirely feasible that you can get a, a field goal in 13 seconds because all you need really in theory is one play where you check the ball down the field and it can be pass interference. And all of a sudden, you know, you're in field goal range or what happened actually to the bills. So, you know, I can't like, I feel like I can't kill him for that because it's not just like a no brainer decision. And it takes a lot of, uh, like guts to do that, but he didn't do it and they lost because of it. And I think they absolutely had to. Um, so I, I get it. I get why you put that in the LVP. I'm, I can't crush him because I think he did do some good things. And he, I, especially compared to last year where I think he was way too conservative and way more conservative mm-hmm. than he was. So I don't want to say like we haven't seen growth, but it needs to get even better. So. I agree with you. I think that's a great point about the two point conversion, right? Because what are, what are people going to say? You throw a touchdown pass with 13 seconds left and then you go for two and you don't tie it up. Like people are going to sit there getting ready to criticize you, but you can't Mm -hmm. worry about that because like you said, if you don't go for two there, you potentially sit up a situ uh, set up a situation where in order to win, you have to stop Patrick Mahomes from getting the field goal back and then potentially have to stop him again in overtime. Yeah. And you've seen your defense has not been able to slow him down. I agree with you. I would much, much, much rather say we got the best quarterback on the planet. We're rolling right now. They're on their heels. Let's put this in our hands, right? We control this right now. Can I get two yards? Isn't that easier than potentially having to stop Patrick Mahomes twice? Like that's what it should come down to. I totally agree with you. Great point by you. Thank you, Stats. I feel like, again, not enough people mentioning that. Um, Aaron Rodgers is my second LVP. I think Ooh. I'm not even going to get into all of it because RJ did, a, I think, a really good job of crushing him on Monday, Football Monday. I mean, some are saying, Stats, rich man's Kirk Cousins. Can't get it done <laughs> in, in big spots. Um, I do think this is this is deserved. You know, this, this is what Aaron – you reap what you sow. And this is what Aaron Rodgers – uh, has sown in terms of the whole off season, you know, being about him, like the whole, he held that NFL hostage basically, like in terms of storyline wise, you know, his, his decision and everything was all about him. And then he does come back. And then the whole vaccination thing where it is crazy. Someone put this perspective on Twitter. I can't give credit to the person because I forget the tweet, but it's crazy how the season began with like people being like, we want to see Aaron Rodgers host Jeopardy now, like extremely likable and sympathetic. And by the end of the season, everyone's like cheering that he's eliminated. It's just kind of crazy. <laughs> like when you put that in perspective like that and see how fast things shifted and understandably so. Uh, so it's Aaron Rodgers. It is really 
kind of it's another thing that's hard to reconcile like talking about jimmy g earlier that aaron Rodgers can be this good like we know he's good right like the issue is he's like the talent cannot be questioned like it's not like actually he's just a fraud who does good in the regular season and then he gets to the playoffs and his talent is exposed like he has the talent that's not in question but for whatever reason it's just not happening for him in the postseason and uh you know some of postseason stuff one score games and, and like that there's some variance and, and some bad luck involved to some extent but I don't care like when you're this good though and you're Aaron Rodgers and you're supposed to be the MVP and it's supposed to be last dance like, this is a big L to wear and uh it's really embarrassing it's a really bad look for him and who knows where we see him again if we see him again in the NFL and if this is how he goes out that's a tough way you can't right that's that's such a tough this is his legacy now he's a loser who couldn't get it done other than one time like that's tough. You know, people are comparing him to Peyton Manning, and I've been defending Peyton Manning. Peyton Manning got to four Super Bowls and won <laughs> two. And I know that he was carried on the last one. I get it, but he still got to four Super Bowls and he still played well enough to at least win the game in the second Super Bowl. Aaron Rodgers has gotten to one. And, you mm. know, he's had some bad playoff losses. He said after the Niners destroyed them in 2019, well, we got to get one of these at our house. Apparently he forgot about 2013 when Colin Kaepernick went into Lambeau and beat him, but then they get one in their house this year. And Aaron Rodgers comes up small in the biggest of moments. The Packers had 58 yards in the second half of that game. If you're the MVP, which he was this year, like you that's pathetic. Like you cannot do that in your house when you're the number one seed. You got to at least get a touchdown and to have 58 yards in the second half. Like, yeah, that's a huge, huge knock on you. And like, who else are you going to blame for the Packers loss? Right. I mean, like your special teams, yeah. I guess you could blame, but like you still only scored 10 points in the game. So yeah. come on. I mean, you can't put it all on the special teams. You, you had those special teams all year and you still made it to the number one seed. No, I, I was reading Acme Packing Company, our, our great uh, SB Nation uh, blog for the Packers, and they absolutely kind of made that point that you just said, like, this isn't on special teams. Like, you know, this is on you know Aaron Rodgers. When you have Aaron Rodgers, you can't just score 10 points. Like, that's just not – it's not cutting it. It's not getting it done. Nope. And he missed a huge uh, – he went deep to Devontae Adams late in that game, and he has Lazard wide open in the middle of the mm. field. And I just think there were a couple times in this game where Rodgers dropped back and he was like, I'm chucking it to Devontae Adams regardless of anything else going on. And the Niners were ready for that. It's crazy, too. I remember seeing Florio, who I referenced way too much on the show, but I guess it's really you. <laughs> I remember like seeing him tweet during that game early on after the Packers you know, take the early yep. lead and it, like, they have a chance to go up 14-0. to And I think he said something to the effect of, Packers go up here, the game is over. <laughs> and, mm -hmm. and it kind of felt he that said, way. It felt like... It felt like they could. This could be a route. If the Packers you know, get another score here, they're up two touchdowns. There's no way the 49ers are going to be able to. Maybe it's not a blowout, but there's no way the 49ers are coming back to win. If they, and, and he and he wasn't wrong, right? And in, in terms of the final score, um, but um, obviously it didn't work out like that. So it's, it's crazy. It's, but bring that up to kind of put into context of like how bad of a loss this is and how embarrassing this is. You lost to the worst quarterback remaining in the playoffs. And again, 49ers have more of that going for them. But it's just it's really embarrassing that. They and they had the one seed, they had the buy, you had the extra rest. Like, there's just no good excuse. There's, there's nothing you can say that absolves him of disappointing yet again. And insane one Super Bowl. How has Aaron Rodgers only been in one Super Bowl? It's not even like 
like he's had this amazing. It's not like Tom Brady wasn't even in his conference. You know what I mean? Patrick Mahomes has never been in his, in his conference. You know, it's not like he has these big roadblocks to getting there. So, uh, you know, obviously until until recently, Tom Brady is not, uh, yes, the past couple of years, yes, but largely before that, and for most of his career, he was not. Uh, so yeah, it's it's really disappointing for him. But he he this is earned. This is not like Josh Allen, where Josh Allen, you know, kind of just like this, you know hard on bad luck and everything, and you kind of feel bad for him. Like, no, no one needs to feel bad for Aaron Rodgers. Like, he earned this. There is one quarterback in the history of the playoffs that has lost to the same team four different times. That quarterback is Aaron Rodgers, and that team is the San Francisco 49ers. And it is stunning that in 34 years of Brett Favre and Aaron Rodgers at quarterback, the Green Bay Packers may only have two Super Bowl trophies. It's Wow. It defies explanation because I think there's about like six or seven MVPs between the two of those guys, but that's where they are. That's the All NFL, right. baby. Yeah, exactly. The best team doesn't always win. The best quarterbacks don't always win. That's going to do it for this edition of the Off Day Debrief. Again, please rate, review, and follow the SB Nation NFL show. If you take the time to leave a comment, we take the time to read it. It feels good to get back to the power rankings. I'm glad you were back in the lab this week. Thank you, Stats. And uh, we have another exciting week to recap, hopefully, I'm guessing, uh, next week. And also, I feel like I don't do a good – we don't do a good enough job of this, Stats. Um, spin it forward here to – so you're, you listen to Monday Football Monday, which we cite a lot because we listen to that, and then we record on Tuesday. But uh, let's spin it forward here. You know, Make sure you're checking out NFL University uh, on Wednesdays, obviously. Uh, Justice, uh, KP, and Steve Sturda do a great job with that show as well. I'm I'm not going to praise anything involving anyone to do with the Chiefs because I'm terrified right now that the 49ers <laughs> are going to have to play the Chiefs in the Super Bowl. And I have said I want no part of Patrick Mahomes ever again. He terrifies me. But no, that is a good show. You're right. It will make you smarter. You should definitely check it out. Enjoy your week, everybody. We'll talk to you next week. Hi, I'm Neil Patel, host of Decoder, my show about big ideas and other problems. Right now on Decoder, we're doing a mini-series about one of the biggest ideas that's creating some of the biggest problems around, generative AI. Our series dives deep into some of the most pressing issues surrounding generative AI, with expert Verge reporters covering the cutting-edge frontier of the industry. How could copyright lawsuits completely upend large language models and image generators? How big a problem is AI-generated misinformation for the 2024 election? And what kind of impact are AI chatbots having on human relationships? Decoder's AI series will help you understand what's going on, why, and where it might go from here. Tune in every Monday and Thursday for new episodes of Decoder wherever you get your podcasts.